Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. I am stirred today. This is one of those days that you you come in and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it from opening to the moment we start preaching because there is something that we've got to talk about today that has either been mischaracterized and made light of by Christians. We've, we've made parodies about it. We make jokes about it because we don't understand it or been totally thrown out because it's confusing and mysterious and could be labeled as weird. What we need to talk about today is spiritual warfare. And the reality is, is this could be one of the most misunderstood and therefore um, misplaced parts of the Christian life. And yet it is something that the Apostle Paul went to great lengths to finish the book of Ephesians by, by, by talking about. And if we remember The book of Ephesians is a letter written to the body of Christ about what it means to be Christian. And he wasn't writing the Ephesians to go, hey, you've been messing this up. You know, your donuts are bad. Make them better. He was writing to the global church to say, this is how to be Christian. First, remember things like the blessings you've inherited in Christ. Understand the promises that have been afforded to you. Walk and understand who you are. You're not your your actions and you're not your failures, but you are a son and daughter of the king. Your identity is in Christ. He calls us to these three pillars of the Christian faith to walk in goodness and righteousness and truth, to be moral and ethical and honest. That is that is the foundation of what it means to be, in, to, be, to be walking in the ways of God. He went on and he starts to talk to us in the later chapters about relationships, what it means to have a healthy marriage, to have a, a healthy family, and to, to walk and, and, and live in a healthy work environment. And then he arrives to this pivotal moment, this this final word about what it means for all of us as as believers that are living in a place that is wildly uh, uh, pushed against, that that we live in a society that is almost anti-Christian. Like that's what this letter is written to so we can read it to us. And he says, hey, finally, I wanna tell you this one thing. This, some could say this is the most important thing. In Ephesians 6, We're going to open up. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
You see, if the enemy of our soul, if the adversary of our life can't hit us with a a front-on attack and destroy humanity, then the greatest attack he he could lay, the greatest trap he could set would be to convince the church that they're in a time of peace when they're in a time of war. If he can convince us as the people of God to, 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 to think it's just silliness, to think it's just mysterious, that's over my head, I'm just not that complicated, I'm not trying to be all up there in the like, I just I'm just a simple, if he can convince us that this fight isn't real, then he can ultimately thwart our ability to fight. He, he can... Uh, he can Allow us, I mean, think about the language the Apostle Paul's using all these years ago. He's saying, stand, why? Because he was watching the church lay down when it was time to stand tall. And he's saying it to us today that that we at some point have to decide either this book is true and and it's faithful and it's worthy to be listened to and heeded right here, right now, today, or it's an antiquity that should be forgotten. And I don't think it's an antiquity. I I believe we are called to take this book as the source for how we're supposed to walk and appropriate the promises of God today. So we've got to understand that the enemy hasn't changed his ways. It starts by understanding that what we are fighting is the wiles of the devil. But this is an ancient and historic fight. This has happened since the very beginning of time. Genesis 3, 13 and 15 says it like this. And the Lord God said to the woman, this is after she's eaten of the fruit, after the fall of humanity has happened, this is the, this is the curse. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Listen to this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he Jesus shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, this is a historic fight. It is a historic battle. It is a, it is a, a, a tale as old as time, you could say. But at the fall of the man, the curse of the devil was that there would be enmity. There would be opposition between him and humanity for all time. And since that moment, Humanity has lied in the crosshairs of the devil because he hates us for being who we are, for being the pinnacle of God's creation. This is not just some mysterious thing. This is a real deal grudge match between the enemy of our soul and all of humanity. And it's never gonna stop. He's never gonna change. He's not gonna all of a sudden decide one day, you know what? I think I'd like to just let them go. There is a deep 
and an eternal hatred between the devil and the pinnacle of God's creation. Probably because he wanted to be God and so he hates God and he hates anything God loves. And so we have to understand the, the depth of this, this fight, the depth of this warfare. And then we've got to remember the promises of Jesus himself who, who gave us instruction about who we're fighting. He said in John 10, 10, the thief comes, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. So there's no scenario ever where the enemy of our soul is pursuing anything but theft, murder, and destruction. His ways, his wiles are, are as bad as they can be and there's never a scenario where we can try to make evil good and good evil. It, it is always in direct opposition to goodness, righteousness, and truth forever. This is from the mouth of Jesus himself. He's outlining the devil's historical, current, and future hopes for all of humanity. Even those who claim to worship him. See, this is the, the insanity that when you, you see things enough, it gets normalized enough and you see people say things that are ignorant and they say it with passion enough and you go, just because you worship the devil doesn't mean he, hate, he doesn't hate you. Every single person who goes to some Satan con or Satan thing, you know, you, you go, oh man, the church of Satan. It's like all of that, 100% is a place where the devil wants to kill everybody involved. There's not a single human who gets exempted from his hatred. Even if you dress up weird, if you do evil things, if you walk in his evil ways, that's great. He'll use you, but he's going to kill you in the process. And so when we align ourselves, and you might be thinking, okay, we're at church. None of us are aligning with that. But, but listen to me, beloved. This, we're going to get into this today. So much of the enemy's schemes have been calling what is spiritual, political, in an effort to separate us from what really matters in our days. And so if we want to get real, this isn't about us turning into Satan con people. It's like, I'm not worried. I don't think that's a big issue here in Fairview. But what I do think is that if we can lay down on the job, he can convince us of something that was, he can convince us to get out of the fight when we need to be standing now more than ever. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. An interesting picture, though, is what does God do? Does he steal? No, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, he should not perish, but have everlasting life. The end of John 10, 10, does he kill? No, he comes that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. Does he destroy no, Ephesians 1 says that he doesn't destroy, he blesses. Because blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And he continues on and on. Beloved, everything the enemy does is a counterfeit. It is in direct, complete, 
separation and opposition to what, what God does. His wiles are always seeking to do that, to corrupt, destroy humanity at all costs, any way he can, however he can. And the human must choose one or the other, life or death. And the reality is, is, is that as we approach this topic, as we look at this topic, we can kind of, we can go, oh man, I saw, I saw a great kids play with that once and they came out and they put their armor on. Or we can take this very, very seriously and realize some. Because how, I mean, if we're at war, if you know we're at war, at any moment, enemies could come in here and try to attack us, you would sit differently in this room. You would dress differently. You would act differently. We would communicate differently. Wartime leadership, wartime uh, participation. You're on guard. You're standing guard. It doesn't mean you're paranoid or crazy. It means you're aware and yet so many Christians, so many of us have just laid down in the comfort of modern Christianity in the show of, of just let's just attend a church where it sounds really good and looks really good and, and it feels really good every time we leave. But what happens when we walk out and we get slapped upside the head and we don't know which way is backwards? And so, beloved, it's, it's high time. It's beyond time to realize this is real. The armor of God is not some playtime story to be talked about in, in children's ministry. It's to be appropriated every single day as you put on the armor before you leave into the battlefield of life. And you can go, well, you're just being paranoid or you're just being crazy. I'm just being biblical. I'm just looking to the word of God to be the, the source of, of, of truth in our life. And, and the bottom line is, this is a fight and we're in it, whether we acknowledge it or not. That's the crazy thing. You can be in a fight and not acknowledge it. But listen, I promise you, in a war-torn country, you walk out the door and act like you're not in a war-torn country, you're gonna find out really fast the great deception of the enemy of our soul is that he's created a world so comfortable that it can convince you that the fight isn't at your doorstep, and it is. But let me tell you this, you're gonna know it's there when it shows up. And all of a sudden, you're gonna go, man, nobody told me this. I, uh, when tragedy strikes, when, 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 it, when issues happen, when things can, just fall down on top of you, that's when you've gotta be resolved to know this is a fight. It's what Faith talked about this morning being able to worship through suffering and unknown heartache and pain and going, God, what, what's going on here? And being reminded, oh yeah, we're in a warfare for our soul and I don't get to control everything, but at the end of the day, you're worthy of it all. And so we have to see this, believe this and understand it's true. So, what we fight is the wiles of the devil. Who we fight it says powers, rulers of darkness, principalities, and spiritual hosts of wickedness. A principality is a chief magistrate, it's a high ranking, overseeing demon. Many of us are going, what? Yes. Principality is a chief, it's a high-ranking official in the demonic army of Satan. 
That, that's, a, that's a real thing. That's why he's going, hey, we're not fighting. The things you see in the natural are being coordinated in the supernatural by high-ranking officials called principalities. And then he goes on and he says, powers, jurisdictional rulers, demons over certain jurisdictions and areas. So, so, so now we're looking at this and seeing this and understanding this and going, wait, we're not just fighting the, the devil. He's got demons and demonic influences that have ranked and, and, and they're organized and they're structured. Do you know what that means? That means, like, think about how not that we are. The enemy, the opposition, the adversary to your life is organized, structured, put together. They have attack plans, battalion plans, battle plans, jurisdictional ordinances and, and focuses, strategies and strongholds. They have absolute awareness of how they're gonna fight and where they're gonna fight. And we're up here twiddling our thumbs trying to figure out if there's even a fight on our hands. Think about it. We're still going, I don't know, man. My biggest concern today is, are the interest rates gonna be okay? Who gives a flip? Who cares? Who cares if the market's up or down or if this is happening? There is a fight. There is people trying to kill you and we're sitting up here thinking about things that matter not at all. And so at some point, we've got to go, what are we doing here? What, what are we worried? I mean, y'all, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not berating you. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir this morning. We've been in the middle of trying to figure out, are we going to move? Are we stand? I don't know, the interest rate. It's like the enemy lulls me to sleep by being concerned about what's happening in the natural, and I forget about the supernatural. It's a, conf I mean, and I'm in this all the time. I'm studying it all the time, talking all the time, and this is all I do. And yet it, it happens to me. Principalities, powers, jurisdictional rulers, and then rulers of darkness of this age. I love this. Rulers of shadiness, darkness, and evil. <laughs> that one doesn't need much. Spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. It's demonic <clears throat> depravity that inhabits the atmosphere because he is the prince of the power of the air, according to the word. <clears throat> so we have layers of leadership. We have structure. He has, he has a coordinated effort about how to get you. I mean, this is where C.S. Lewis was so beyond his times in the screw tape letters. And, and I mean, he's, he's writing, talking about how, they, how, they under, how he understood this spiritual fight happening. There's a, a movie that came out recently where they kind of made a modern depiction of that, but, but there's so many incredible things that we've got to grab a hold of and go, y'all, the biggest walk away, the biggest thing I want you to walk out of here today understanding and knowing and believing is that we are in a fight. And it's spiritual to the core. We fight the wiles of the devil. Who we fight are, 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 are all these different levels of demonic oppression and leadership. We've got to learn to see past the people, though, in the natural realm. This is a Steve Berger thing. 
and see the demonic spirits working behind the wickedness in their life and then respond and pray and battle accordingly. And if you don't understand what I mean by that, see or think about Peter and Jesus. Was Peter an evil man as he walked with Jesus? No. I'm talking about the apostle Peter, the sword-drawing, ear-cutting guy. Like, Peter. Peter was a warrior, a faithful man, a, a courageous man, a, 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 a man that, that went after things. He, he, was, he, was, he was bold. And yet at one point, he steps out of line and Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. I don't see that kind of boldness appropriating in the church today. I don't see it in our everyday life where we're, where we realize like, hey, when somebody you know and you love is walking out of, line, out of alignment with God's will and ways and are walking in alignment with the prince of the power of this air, we don't need to speak to the person. We need to speak to the principality power or wicked host that is operating in and through their life. And we need to say, get out in the name of Jesus. I see you. I'm not going to let you live here. I'm not going to let you operate here. I'm not going to let you have any power or influence here. That's demonic and it has no place here. That's a different kind of, 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 of Christian life. They don't talk about that one on Instagram. But it ought to be how we live because it would conform us into the image of Jesus. Did Peter get redeemed from that moment? Absolutely. That's the beauty of it. When we speak the truth, when we fight the warfare, when we do the battle, people get redeemed. People get healed. People get changed and transformed and freed. But our cowardice and laying down on the job keeps people in bondage for eternity. And so at some point, we've got to go, I'm gonna fight for them for my kids, for my wife, for my friends, for my church, for my city, for my country, for my world. I'm not gonna lay down and watch hell wreak havoc in my life and then complain about it on Instagram or Facebook. We're so afraid of people not liking us, we abandon saying what's true. I want to remind you of something here as we talk about what we are actually fighting. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. So when, you know, we are so clever, it's everybody thinks we're the smartest generation or whoever the newest one is because you have the most access to information. But smart people do really dumb things all the time. And, and the, the truth of the matter is nothing new is under the sun. How do I know that that's, a, that's an unchangeable truth that can't ever, it, it can't be not true because it's in the Bible. Ecclesiastes says it. Solomon speaks it to him. He goes, hey, there's nothing new. What has been done is going to be done again. So, so history matters, right? But our modern world has forgotten this. 
And in fact, we've begun to do crazy things like erase history. But let me tell you right now, people that want to erase history are always trying to recreate it. When you try to erase the past, when you try to erase history, you are trying and attempting, and you know, if they know about what happened back then, why? Because nothing's new under the sun. What has been will happen again. And so there is this absolute truth in life. When we, when we want to recreate history, we've got to eliminate history. And this modern era has done something to cut off the church's voice, to void humanity of the clarification of God, of righteousness and truth by calling the devil's wiles political and using a document that was written by a man, not even meaning to say what we've allowed it to mean in the separation of church and state, the prevailing demonic forces of darkness have slid back into our society with a breakneck pace and churches are allowing it and not standing up to it and it is time to stand. Quickly, I want to remind you that back in 1 Kings, back in the Old Testament, you know, the one that nobody likes to read, but is full of historical, scriptural, and eternal truth. It is the truth. It is the word. Baal and Ashtaroth were false gods that constantly plagued the Israelites. If you'll remember in 1 Kings 18, Elijah battled the prophets of Baal in a showdown of Mount, on Mount Carmel. Baal and Ashtaroth's temples were often near each other. They were temples of three things when, when ultimately boiled down. Sexual worship. The priests were mainly prostitutes. They were, they, were, uh, they were, I'm sorry, the priests were either prostitutes or eunuchs. What a eunuch was back then is a men that were self-mutilated, that were castrated, they were cut, cut off, and their bodies became transgender, so they could be trusted gatekeepers of that kind of society. And in their temples, they sacrificed the children to the God. Sex worship, pornography, eunuch priest, transgenderism, and abortion, child sacrifice are all ancient and demonic and evil and wrong. And if we ever, ever, ever try to get comfortable with it, we will be walking in demonic ways that are in opposition to the truth of God's call on our life as Christian. And at some point, we've got to stop playing around with this stuff. We've got to stop acting like there's some common ground that we can keep. There is an, I mean, this is not new. This is not progressive. This is not, 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 this isn't something that no one's thought about before. These are old demons in a new body that have plagued humanity for as long as time. And at some point, we need to call the spade a spade and go, that can't have any merit here. And Christians can't participate there, even at the risk of getting called out or canceled or, 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 or called crazy. Listen, I'll be called a bigot for saying that. But it's true. It doesn't matter what you think or what you feel or how your emotions connect to it. That is demonic to the core and has no place in the Christian life. 
isn't a political issue. It's an ancient spiritual warfare against humanity with the sole ambition of stealing, killing, and destroying the human race. The greatest deception of the modern age is to call freedom loving and accepting, to call this freedom loving or accepting when it's only demonic. And there's so many others. I was talking to Pastor Steve about this. There's over 16, for sure, named spirits of, uh, uh, that, that, are, that are called out in the scriptures. There's, there's so many places we could go. But suffice it to say, the fight is real. It has been. It will continue to be. Our job isn't to, to be comfortable in the middle of it. It is to stand up and fight it. And we got to know how to fight. In the weeks to come, we're going to unpack this further and further. But, but it says we fight in heavenly places. See, this fight is spiritual, totally. 2 Corinthians 10 Three through five says, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, we can't war against the flesh. We don't have... We don't wield weapons against the flesh, but our weapons are mighty in God to pull down strongholds, cast down arguments, and, and every high thing, everything that, that seeks to set itself about, above what God has called us to do. Every principality, every power, every ruler, every spiritual host, every level of that demonic army that comes into opposition of our life. Our warfare, weapon, and victory is spiritual, not natural. I want to close by showing something so powerful, so real. It's such an applicational picture of how to live in the natural and have eyes for the supernatural, how to stand tall and fight. The way we do that is we take heed from 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding. This is a real army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened his eyes and the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. You see, people who don't understand the realm of the spirit are usually fearful in the realm of the flesh. Think about that. If we don't understand what's happening in the spiritual realm, if we don't understand that there's a warfare, then every time a new... Uh, what would we say? A variant comes out, you're going to be terrified. <laughs> if every time some new thing pops out, it pops its head up on, even on Fox News, we start to get terrified, worried, and afraid. 
It could be that you don't understand what's happening in the spiritual. And so, beloved, it's, it's not my job to come to your house and help you interpret the news. I'm just telling you, the news is a liar and the devil's got his hooks in him. So look to God's word and let that be a light unto your path. And so we've got to be understanding that, that Elisha didn't look at that army, a real live, like it's not like he walked outside and went, man, weather looks rough, could be a storm. There was a literal army on his doorstep and he's sipping coffee. And his servant goes, God, they're here. We're not ready. What are we gonna do? And he says, you're afraid because you don't understand what's happening in the, in the spirit. The second thing is this, people who understand the realm of the spirit are usually confident, composed, and calmed, calmed in both places. So, so the first guy is a classic example of kind of what's happening in our modern era in the modern church. Every time something new comes up on the news, every time there's an army at your doorstep, every time there's attack or, or fearfulness, you get nervous and afraid. And, oh my God, what's gonna happen next? But the men and women of God who understand the spiritual are confident and, and sober-minded and clear thinking and, and bold in both spaces. Elijah, Elisha looked at it and he went, not a problem. Why? Because I know what's in the spirit and those that are with us are greater. The army is bigger. He is stronger. What's that song we sung earlier? He is better than that. We don't have to live in fear. Why? Because Jesus came to set us free. And so all of a sudden, we, we look upon these armies at our doorstep and we don't fear and cower, but we have minds of the spiritual, so we're confident in the spiritual and in the natural. Do you see that? And he says, hey, the, the thing we've got to do, we don't have to jump off this ledge and start fighting like, you know, uh, you know whatever movie is coming to your mind. We don't have to have to get out of here and start figure out how to, you know, sneak a, a covert operation around the back. And the one thing Elisha does is he says, let us pray. Prayer is oftentimes the entryway into the battlefield of the opposition that is coming your way. We need to pray. We need to pray to see what's going on in the realm of the spirit more than us, more with us and, and for us than against us. We need to understand that, that, that when we start to see something that we don't get, we start to see something that evokes fear in the natural. We need eyes to see what's happening in the supernatural. We need God to remind us of something. We need him to remind us that, that, that he who is with us is greater than he who is in the world. That, that what's happening in the world isn't gonna hold a candle to what he's capable of. And we need eyes to see where he's moving and what he's doing so we can appropriate and, and appropriately respond to what he's calling us to do in that moment. But what we know is an unequivocal, unchanging truth about this fight is we don't get to lay down on the job. There's never gonna be a time that we all of a sudden get to go, you know what, we're gonna sit this one out. I just wanna, uh, this is too big for me. I'm gonna, 
I'm going to just hang here and watch. It's just not how he calls us to live. It's not how he calls us to lead. He, he undoubtedly says, stand up. And, and then, so for the Christian who, who wonders, is this my fight? Is that my issue? I don't even have kids. Why would I be worried about what's happening in the school system? I'm not even worried about this. I don't even have it. Because it's spiritual. Because the devil is trying to infiltrate our world and our society and our churches. And it's time beyond time for us to understand, stand tall, and do that which is good, righteous, and true. It's time to fight a spiritual fight, to push back the darkness in our age, and to be the light that Jesus calls us to be. So we must prepare, pray, and receive eyes to see, and not be found laying down on the job, but to put on the whole armor of God, to battle therefore, because the person to your right and your left, the kids, the marriage, the community is worth it. We ought not on our watch let our whole life go to hell in a handbasket and then complain about why it happened. Why it happened is because you didn't do something about it. So we are not gonna not do something about it. Amen, somebody? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we need you. And we want to do this. So whatever ways the enemy of our soul is trying to convince us that that's not ours, I pray that you would break that off, and that you would give everyone in this room eyes to see what the Spirit would bear witness to them, that we might stand, therefore, and fight, that we would be organized and structured in such a way as to, to not just be overtaken, but to be overtaking evil with good. We bless you, God, and we honor you and thank you for this opportunity to be called sons and daughters and to stand tall and to appropriate the promise and to put on the whole armor of God. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Say, God bless you. Have a fantastic week.